Alrighty, all of you automotive enthusiasts who like car stories, trivia, and other silliness, you can only blame yourself <laughs> for hitting the play button <laughs> on yet another... Another Gabby episode of V8 oh, Radio, Kevin. Gabby, all right. That's right, man. I know her. <laughs> She's not a guest. No, unfortunately not. <laughs> I'm your host, Kevin Oste, joined as always by our esteemed co-host, Mr. Mike Hubal-Clark. And uh, yeah, this is the V8 Radio Podcast, and uh, there's several people out there who've listened to more than one episode, but for those who have not and don't know the, uh, the routine of the show, in the beginning, we always have some sort of automotive trivia question in which uh, we, we reserve the answer until the end. So we ask the question at the beginning and um, kind of trick our listeners into hanging out the whole show to hear the answer. So, Mr. Q, have you uh, prepared... A trivia question? You told me you had th- uh, like an eight-part question. <laughs> yeah, well, this has the potential to be a four-part question, Kevin. Wow. It's, it's going to be two parts for the win, four parts for the bonus. And here we go. Oh, man. Yeah, well, it's going to be a – it'll be fun. All right, so, Kevin, which major auto manufacturer produces the most cars per day and which one produces the least cars per day? And for the bonus – what are those numbers? Oh, wow. Uh, well, to digress just a bit, I, uh, I did mistakenly say before that the Silverado had surpassed the F-150 in our last episode, yeah. which it did not. And it Frank was... made sure to let you know that. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Frank. Yes. Uh, our longtime listener, Mr. Frank Simkowski. And... I must have heard like some kind of regional monthly sales quota or something that <clears throat> I see because I swear I heard it it overtook it in some capacity, but it wasn't for the annual production. But you're speaking of major automotive manufacturers, so Correct. not, where not we, your boutique manufacturers, but a re, real deal auto manufacturer. And is this uh, all right? So part A is. Who, and part B is how many per day? Correct, per day. And is this average for the year, or? We'll call it average, yes, for the year. Or on their, like, you know, top day where everything goes right, and? We'll say average. Because I don't think any manufacturer produces cars every day of the year. (laughs) Kevin? (laughs) (laughs) well i'm just saying because you know they got plant maintenance and everything else so if you're gonna look at the average it could okay well average over the year okay based on total units produced if you amortize that over a day's time okay what would be the most what would be the least so i'm gonna say that it's toyota is my first guess for the manufacturer. And I'm going to say that the, this, so I guess we're speaking to the overall production. Yes. Of that brand. Correct. Uh, I'm thinking it's a, it's a couple million a year at this point for Toyota. Is my guess. I think they do like five or 600,000 Camrys and, Hmm. alone so per day is, is is what we're looking for right so that was per year 
so we're we're we're, con- we're considering all the plants. Yes. All right. Well, whatever you know, a million and a half divided by three sixty-five, I guess, is my answer. <laughs> Please stand by. <laughs> Uh, we'll just call it, uh, we'll call it 2 million even. Per day? No, for the oh, year. I'm doing the math. Even. Oh, Hold okay. On. Yeah. Uh, 365 days, that, that makes it 5,400 cars a day. Okay. Across all the plants globally, all the different lines. So it's not just Camrys, it's Correct. Highlanders and yes. Sequoias and Sequoias, whatever else. Tundras. Tundras. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. So Kevin says Toyota for the most mm-hmm. and 5400 per day. All right. Now, what do you think about the least? The least? Right. I need to know where we draw the line of major. Okay. Right. So we got Ford. I'm just going to say GM. unless Because you're not breaking it out by brand. You're breaking it out by parent company? Yeah, I'm breaking it out by... Gosh, this, now this, we're getting a little muddled here. I know because um, it could be, is it Cadillac plus Chevrolet plus GMC and or is it Cadillac? It, do they stand uh, on their own? Let's call it recognizable vehicle brand. If that if that oh, just cleared everything up. Well, you, you don't see um, a GM whatever except for a gmc truck but you don't see like a, it's not like a gm corvette or um or a, whatever the parent company of, of daimler chrysler is uh so it's the the individual mark yes if you will thank you m-a-r-q-u-e right yes Marquee. uh okay so i gotta think who's even in existence anymore today mm-hmm. um in the gm family you've got chevrolet GMC truck, Cadillac. Is the uh, it doesn't have to be? I'll give you a hint. It doesn't have to be a U.S. manufacturer. Uh, no, I, I, I'm aware of that. I'm okay. just trying to get my head together on this thing because they've killed so many different brands. You know, if you go, I did this the other day. If you go to say the Cadillac website mm-hmm. and you click on vehicles. It starts to show you other GM brands on the same page. Really? Because there's just not that many <clears throat> any marks anymore. You know, you, you've only wow. got a handful of, of GM brands. So they're just, you know, I think Chevrolet's website does the same thing. Hmm. Uh, so the, the least, you know, you got Buick over there too. So I think I'm trying to narrow down by by parent company, what's the least of each? And I'm going to say Cadillac is the least of, of General Motors. So on the Ford side, you basically have Ford and Lincoln. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I'm missing anything there, right? Mercury's yeah, long gone. Mercury and Mercury anymore. Yeah. So I'm thinking, do they sell more Cadillacs than Lincolns? They're probably neck and neck. So let's go over to... The Fiat Group, right, which is Chrysler. Mm-hmm. Fiat is Peugeot part of that? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, European car production. I really don't know. I know that it's 
Mercedes-Benz sells a decent amount of cars, mostly here in the U.S. BMW, Mini, you know, we're just looking at the whole variety of <laughs> automakers. So, Do so your who process, sell, man. Go through your process. Who, who sells the least? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Nissan's still out there, but they're, they're a mass, uh, you know, a mass uh, brand. Subaru, Hyundai, Kia over in the Koreas. Uh, are we considering like Bentley and Rolls-Royce as major? Are they Absolutely. Oh, wow. Then we're going to go to, you know, Aston Martin. Sure. And Jaguar. We'll include Aston Martin and Jaguar. Oh, wow. Uh, but Ferrari is definitely boutique. Is it? Well, what the hell's not? <laughs> I mean, you know, if Ferrari is I mean, not a boutique manufacturer. for a while. Wouldn't you consider them a, a big player? Well, that's what my initial question was. Where do we draw the line at major? Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll draw it at Konasek. How about that? Oh, man. Or Zonda. Zonda. I mean, those exotics, super exotics. Yeah, a spiker. So those those are like in the double digit per year, right? You know, like Konasek maybe right. makes 25 cars a year, 20, right. something I'm like that. I'm not counting that. We so that's that's your that. boutique threshold. It's like yes. less than 100. Yes. All right, all right, all right. Well, then I don't really know. I mean, there's just so many of them in there. Yeah, there's right. there's I, a lot of those. I didn't realize this was going to turn into such a dirtbag question. I apologize. Yeah, it's everybody. a tough one, you know, because... <laughs> Uh, you know, by this by this scale, you know, Tesla's definitely up with the top ones then, because um, they're they're doing you know yeah, hundreds of thousands of cars. Yeah. Uh, but you know, something that's I don't I don't even know. And, and and I was it was made clear to me when we went to Saudi for the Global Automotive Salon mm. that there are. All kinds of you know super and hypercar brands out there that I'm just not familiar with. Right. So well, neither am I. So they're not part of this question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I hope that narrows it down a bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, do I know what you don't know? Mm. Do, either way around. Uh, man. Hmm. 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 <laughs> I'm just going to say it's, well, you know, Rolls-Royce, I, I don't know where they're at today for production. I know in the, yeah, geez. This is a tough one, man. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For somebody who's I apologize. Not, it's okay. No, and yeah, nobody know, fed me this question either. This was all on my own, so blame me. Wow, Okay. Uh, just for fun, I'm going to say Rolls Royce, but it, and then the the bonus of what the number is for the least of this mystery yeah. <laughs> mystery brand <laughs> mystery boutique threshold number. Yeah. I think they're probably doing ten thousand a year, something like that. Ten thousand a year divided by three sixty five. Yeah. So they're doing a couple cars a day. Let's see. We'll do the math. 
30, 20, 27, 28 cars a day. 28 cars a day. All right. I don't know that they make Rolls Royces that fast. Well, they are pretty much hand built. Right. Yeah. But they have a bunch of hands building them, I guess. Okay. To be able to hit that. Sure. Number. I mean, Porsche. You just pick a country. You know, there's all kinds of different smaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just going to get this over with and <laughs> <laughs> and say Rolls Royce. And my apologies okay. to everybody listening who's banging their heads against the wall, saying, "Would well, this guy just shut up and move on?" <laughs> all right. So duly noted. So for most cars, you say Toyota, and the bonus is 5,400 per day. And the least is Rolls Royce at 28 cars per day. We've got Boy, that sounds like an educated guess there, but uh, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, right. I, I enjoy the process you go through. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's riveting. Um, All right, now my turn. <laughs> yes, I will give you uh, a choose-your-own-adventure here oh, after that nice. experience. Yeah. Thank uh, you. I have three different questions on deck. And we'll just call them numbers one, two, or three. And I'll just let you throw the dart, and you pick a number, and that's going to be your question. Okay. Um, We'll go number one. Number one. Yep. Okay. Door number one, Monty. Yes. Behind door number one, we have... Yeah, it is a new car (laughs) for 1963. All right. In 1963, Chrysler announced that they would be offering a on Imperial powertrain components. And this warranty is the first of its kind in the luxury class. So my question to you is, what was special about the warranty? First of its kind in the luxury class. First of its kind, what was special about the warranty? Yes. (sighs) Okay. I will say, I mean, this, oh gosh, this is a a you know it or you don't kind of a question. Um, 1963 Imperial. 1963 Imperial. What was special about the powertrain warranty offered? Mm hmm. Oh boy. 1963 Chrysler Imperial. Mm hmm. The uh, year that President Kennedy met his untimely demise? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, you can't really, you got to be careful. The next time you find yourself surrounded by Imperial enthusiasts, make sure you don't call it a Chrysler Imperial. Why? In those days, Imperial was its own line. Really? Yes. It was Chrysler parent company, but the Imperial right. stood alone. I was not aware of that. That was a, mm-hmm. That would have been mm-hmm. a good trivia question there somewhere. Hmm. Oh boy. Okay. What was special about the Imperial powertrain warranty? Hmm. I will. And I'm not. That. I'm not asking how many warranties they wrote per day. Sure. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Jag off. <laughs> oh man. All right. I, I will say it was the first time. It was, that was offered a, a five-year, 50,000-mile warranty on the powertrain. First time for a five-year, 
50,000 mile. All right. You sure? No. I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> but that's what we're just, going with. Just because I wrote it down doesn't mean, you know, it's got to be. Yeah, well, it pretty much is. I, 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 any other question would be a complete, any other answer would be a complete wag as this one was. So <laughs> this is what I'm going with. Okay. You sure t- 224, you know, if that was it, or, or maybe it was, uh, uh, I don't know. You've you've made your answer. I'm, yep. I'm just going to stay with that. Is. Okay, okay. All right. Well, we shall see. Yes, sir. We'll find out at the end of the show. Right. It's been duly noted. Yes, sir. All right. All right. Well, Let's glad see. we got that out of the way, kids. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks if for was, listening to V8 Radio. Good night, everybody. Yeah, if there was a, uh, a heat map, you know, showing people's, you know, attention spans <laughs> on this particular episode, I think we lost oh, them in about man. the first minute and a half. Yeah, so sorry about that. Oh, we might geez. be able to rerun that last uh, trivia question next time because uh, <laughs> people might not have tuned out. Yeah, no kidding. Good heavens. That was a... That was a that was bad. Anyway. Well, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. So there's a lot happening right now as, as we uh, lay this one down. First of all, it's cold. It is cold. Yeah, yeah, here in the Midwest. Uh, I'm fortunate that I have heat in the garage, but it's it's still, it's chilly. It's, I think by me, it's eight degrees outside, something like that. Yeah, I'm about the same. Yeah, and I know, believe me, you know, it gets colder in other places, but uh, it's still cold. Uh, but there seems to have been a bunch of interesting news going around in the automotive industry in the past couple of weeks that uh, is worth kind of chatting about. Uh, one of them, you undoubtedly have seen that the Edelbrock company is moving their headquarters to um, right to the Memphis area, actually, going to, uh, to Miss... Mississippi. Yes. Yeah, they were in Torrance uh, for 80, 83 years? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it was the, the original headquarters. And it moved. But they're part of the um, the Comp Cams group, um, whatever parent company owns all that, right? Right. So the Edelbrock is still its own company, and Comp is still its own company, but they, they now have, a, I guess for the past year or so, they have a a parent company that, that owns both of them mm-hmm. and they are able to pool some resources together and uh, it only made sense to move the, the, the headquarters uh, closer to the comp cams headquarters. Uh, Chris Douglas is the, um, uh, you know, I forgot his title at Edelbrock. He used to be with the Comp Performance Group, and he, it's a, he's a guy I've known for many, many years. But he pointed out in an article that Edelbrock had like seven different campuses. Wow. Yes, scattered uh, throughout Southern California and further into the desert. Um, and they thought, you know what, let's look at all this stuff and see what we can uh, uh, combine to, you know, just save some costs and resources right. and everything else. And then... With the the increasingly unfriendly tax structure uh, in Southern California, <laughs> right? Uh, they said, "Let's get out of Dodge." So, I think it's a great move for them. It's a bummer that they're they're stepping out of the the home of hot rod culture, which is Southern Cal. Sure. 
but I think with the, the connectivity everybody enjoys today, that that's not going to be a huge factor. I, I know that one of the goals is to get Edelbrock parts back into hardcore racing more and more. Mm-hmm. They kind of they kind of veered off course over the years, um, you know, making good parts for the street markets and all that, but uh, fewer and fewer, you know, circle track and, you know, uh, dirt racers were, were relying on Edelbrock speed parts, and, and that's that's their heritage, you know. So uh, Chris Douglas is a uh, he's a racer himself and understands wow. the uh, the importance of the development from racing programs trickling back down into uh, the street market. And you know Edelbrock has been around in in the drag racing world as well. They still have their Pat Musi line of cylinder heads and right. you know a few of their names. So it's all <clears throat> good stuff, but. So I think it's going to be a good thing. But what really annoyed me was the clickbait headlines. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think the the first headline I saw said, like, Edelbrock to close uh, headquarters. And it really didn't give you anything else after that. Yeah, that was it. Edelbrock closing. Yeah. Shuts down operations. Shuts down Torrance headquarters. Yeah. Fate of workers unknown. Right. And immediately, you know... I, I think this backfired on, on a couple of of media outlets that wrote these type of stories because I know what they're going for. They're going for the clickbait. They want sure. people to read that headline and, and click on it to go to their website, which increases traffic, which increases ad revenue. Right. But I don't think anybody actually clicked on it. I think they read the headline and then they commented right away saying, oh man, next thing you know, all their parts are going to be made in China and and it sucks they're going out of business and all the rest. So nobody bothered to read the article and they just fed Fed this this disinformation machine throughout all of the following posts. And I'm like, no guys. And it's the same people that are complaining about you know, the People's Republic of California. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and how it's it's a, not a good place to be for business, and they're cheering everybody else on for moving out mm-hmm. and leaving it, and then Edelbrock makes this decision, and because of the way it's presented, it's a bad thing. It, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that journalism does that, uh, and just the only thing they care about is the clickbait and not necessarily the accuracy of the story. Yeah. So that's that's really bothersome. Yeah, it was cr- pretty crazy. So by now, everybody, you know, there, there's enough resources out there to read the, the actual story and, and clear the air. And I know it was like a couple of days after that announcement was made that um, one of the machining centers in Mississippi was showing pictures of Edelbrock cylinder heads that were getting machined already oh wow so they they i mean it's happening you know like right now and uh um uh, you know undoubtedly there's going to be some downsides of of employees that aren't going to be able to relocate they offered the employees a relocation option and package right but that's kind of a hard thing to do if you've got family and everything else right you have young kids that you don't want to uproot um yeah that can be really difficult yeah. Sure. So, you know, that's a bummer, but uh, hopefully those people will be able to find, hopefully they find better jobs, you know, mm-hmm. that, that'd be the, the great thing if they could take that experience and, and increase their, their standard of living somehow. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, at the end of the day, uh, I don't think Edelbrock parts are going anywhere and I'm pretty excited to see what they come out with. They're going to have some 
uh, new stuff. And, and like I said, they're going to get closer to racing and uh, kind of back to their roots. So that'll be cool. Yeah, that will be cool. Now, they still, they're still operating all their foundries that they currently operate now, right? Yes. Yeah, they're keeping the foundries in California, um, which is kind of an interesting thing because, you know, a foundry is – it's a pretty – at first thought, you would think it's a pretty unfriendly thing to the environment. You would think, sure. Lots of heat, melting aluminum, you know, lots of danger. Yeah. Um, but it's not like those those pictures and those videos we see of, of people in, you know, undeveloped countries uh, where it's <laughs> right. a guy with a long stick, you know, and he's <laughs> in a T-shirt <laughs> in this dark, you know, room with this molten... Mm you know, metal and this giant crucible sparks flying everywhere. Yeah. People getting burned and all that. It's not that. No, it's, um, it's much nicer. Yeah. I'm sure they, they do keep, keep their standards up and they have a lot of state of the art equipment and, uh, take strides into preventing a lot of those harmful emissions from getting out. I'm sure they have, uh, like smokestack scrubbers that would help reduce any kind of pollutants that, uh, that get released. Yeah, and I've not been to the foundry. I've been to basically all the rest of the Edelbrock facilities over the years. And um, it was pretty interesting because uh, uh, Vic Edelbrock used to uh, go to his office in Torrance, and then he would go to the Torrance airport and jump in a little plane and fly over to the foundry, which was based kind of near Riverside, mm-hmm. and keep tabs on stuff and then fly back and That's you cool. know com- commute, just just hop over all the traffic and all the it's the only way to travel man it's beautiful yeah yeah so he definitely had his thumb on the pulse um but uh, it'll be neat to see what they what they come up with so so that was kind of big news um some similar news that is kind of flying under the radar right now but had the potential of going down that exact same path is the sale of detroit speed really Yes. I did so not hear about that at did all. Did not even hear about that. No, yeah. sir. Happened about the same time. And uh, take a guess on who bought Detroit Speed. Comp Cams Group? <laughs> no, sir. No. Um, Global West? No. no. It was uh, not really a direct competitor. I'll spare you the oh, uh, okay. 900 guesses, but it's <laughs> been purchased by Holly. Is that right? Yes, yeah. Oh and my gosh. Uh, right, and and Holly is another um, you know company that is it has a parent investing company, um, but Holly's been able to you know it seems like they come out with new products like daily. Uh, I'm on the uh, the press release list that they send out, and it's like my email box is jammed with new Holly part releases and they're always not big Mm -hmm. systems or, you know, a new fuel injection system or whatever, but sometimes it's just a couple of brackets to, you know, put something on an LS motor or whatever. Uh, but Holly is, is headed up by Tom Tomlinson, the uh, CEO, who's a full on diehard car guy. And he's also a, uh, a pro touring car guy. Oh, cool. Oh, he, he, so Detroit he, Speed's right up his alley. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, so it, it seems like it was a, a purchase in, in the right direction f- 
contextually uh, because the guys at Holly and Tomlinson in particular understand what Detroit Speed products are and and mm-hmm. how they're made and, and everything else. And Kyle Tucker, who you know started Detroit Speed, former GM engineer and, and racer. In fact, he went to college with Mark Stilo. Right. Uh, engineering school together. And um, so all those guys are kind of connected, uh, including Tomlinson. So it's, I wouldn't have expected it, but I understand reading into this that uh, the the chatter has been going on for about six months as they tried to figure out what the the deal was. Okay. And I don't know any of the the specifics of the, the, you know, I'm going to just say the buyout. I don't know what the, you know, if it truly was a buyout or if it was some kind of other, you know, business arrangement. I don't know what it was, but the the uh, news is that, um, you know, Detroit Speed was purchased by the Holly Group, and Kyle Tucker is going to remain on staff. He's going to show up at DSC every day and, and do what he does. Um, Detroit Speed also um, <clears throat> has a, a differential company uh, that uh, is part of that sale as well, Gear Effects. Um, oh, which is a, a NASCAR level uh, gear shop that, you know, Detroit Speed. One of their signature products is the Quadralink rear end, your rear suspension system, and their uh, their deep tub kits. You know, for Camaros and Firebirds and sure, you know, Mustangs and a bunch of different cars, G bodies. And people would buy the uh, uh, Quadralink system which requires brackets to be welded on to the rear axle okay. to be able to bolt the whole thing into the car. Well, I think one of the motivations for getting involved with the gear effects deal is to be able to supply those housings pre-welded now. Oh, okay. They can do all that in house and, and they can just keep checking the boxes, you know, so what kind of differential do you want? What kind of gear ratio? Um, and then they can make the brackets for whatever brake system you want and, uh, and go from there. So DSE is, they're very smart the way they make stuff. They make great products. Um, mm-hmm. We've used many, many of them. And, um, you know, part of, the, part of the deal with being a manufacturer is a, a good company handles things well when they don't go right. Correct. Or when something happens. And uh, DSE did a great job there, too. I mean, we, we had a few issues with some some strange parts over the years, uh, uh, stop bushings in a rack and pinion system. And they um, they were quick to to get us new parts for that, and, and they actually changed the design and, and oh, right you know, did, did what they could to make sure it doesn't happen anymore. So being responsive that way, it's part of that is being a smaller business to be able to to be responsive sure pivot a little bit quicker yeah it, it's easy to be a great company when everything is going great it, it's right like yeah. said, it's a true mark of a great company when things are not great right exactly mm-hmm. and and so detroit speed you know they're down in mooresville uh north carolina in NASCAR country, and they didn't change their name to Mooresville Speed. You know, they kept Detroit. <laughs> um, but I believe Edelbrock is opening a facility in that neck of the woods also to be closer. Is that right? Uh, to 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 NASCAR and to all those race shops down there. Um, 
because there's just so much activity going down. And, and I think maybe two years ago, Hotchkiss Suspension opened up a place in Mooresville in that area too. Is and, that right? Oh boy. Yeah. So there's, there's a, a lot to see and, and um, uh, a lot of contributors to, to what we do are, are in that area because they want to advance their stuff. They want to, they want to deal with the people that know and race it and use it. So, Well, boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's go racing. That's right, man. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Uh, another interesting thing I heard the other day is the story, uh, the latest story, I should say, on the Apple car. The Apple car. Yeah. I'm not yeah. familiar with that. Well, I, I'm going to say for the past 10 years, Apple has been threatening <laughs> <laughs> to uh, to get into the car business. Oh, wow. And Nobody really understood why, uh, because it's not organic to Apple's existence. Okay, being a you know a technology company, a computer yeah. and device company. Sense. But the flip side is, I think, you know, we're we're seeing the proliferation of the Apple CarPlay, right? You know, software and hardware that is installed in OE level cars and everything else. Mm-hmm. So maybe they thought, yeah, you know, maybe they wanted to do a car that was like a super version of the Apple CarPlay, uh, you know, that had all kinds of features that would be really conducive to people that like technology and cars. Okay. And that started to kind of unwind a little bit as uh, they demonstrated they really wanted to do autonomous cars. Oh, boy. And then it's like, oh, okay, so a computer company... Um, getting into autonomous vehicles kind of makes sense. You know, I think Google tried it. Uh, Microsoft right. is definitely involved. And I will say the Apple stuff doesn't crash very often, so that's a good thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Got him! <laughs> but uh, they, they, you know, if you research that company at all, Apple does not make the iPhone. It's all subcontracted by you know, some manufacturers throughout the world. And, sure. and the last thing I read is that, you know, the whole thing isn't assembled in one place. Parts of it are made in one and parts are made in another so that uh-huh. they don't get, uh, you know, the ideas don't get stolen and black marketed. And, oh, I see. you know, you can't build your own iPhone because all the pieces come from different places. So, so where would they get a car, right? So who do you think Gosh. they were talking to to build the Apple car. Tesla? You would think. You would think. But I... That's not it. And I'm not sure why. I don't know if they're... If they're completely going electric. But Tesla is a high, high technology company. And, sure. and to me, I think Tesla really is just doing what Tesla wants to do. I don't know that they want to take on a private label... I got gotcha. Manufacturing strategy at this point um but but you know they might but uh but it's not them uh in this case it was kia really yes interesting yes uh and kia and apple were in talks to create to build the apple car until this past week (laughs) Until this past week, oh boy. Yes. So Kia came out with a statement. It was very blunt. It was, we're not making the Apple car. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that was it. Case closed. So, yeah. And and I, I think, 
Apple has warmed up to a couple different manufacturers and it has cooled off over the years. Because um, I just don't know if they know what they want to do, is my guess. Yeah, but, I think that could be part of it. And I, I think another part of it is Apple... I think are a bunch of control freaks uh, as far as what they allow people to do. And they, oh, yeah. and they are not big into the uh, repair uh, movement. They don't want people repairing their own phones. They want to, they say it's a breach of intellectual property and, and mm. making steps to prevent that. And my guess is they probably wanted too much control over the development of this car than Kia wanted to give. And uh, that could be why talks broke down. Very interesting. So I, I know that that um, a lot of cottage industry has popped up around device repair, mm-hmm. and I could only imagine that you know Apple frowns upon that because they want you to take it back to their stores and they want you to buy a new phone, buy what, another one. Yeah, want. right. They don't want yeah. to repair anything. Yeah, although they do repairs, they they do, but a lot of things they they do say, well, we can't repair it. It you know you need a new phone. They're quick to say they can't repair exactly, it. Exactly. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. So that 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 bothers me because I'm and I'm huge into being able to repair all my stuff because in my mind I bought it I should be allowed to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not trying to sell the code to anybody, but if like say the camera stops working, I should be able to buy a new part and open the phone up and replace it. Because but now what Apple is doing is they're serializing a lot of these internal components, so you can't just put a new one in. It has to be kind of remarried to the motherboard otherwise wow. it won't work yeah it's ridiculous man yeah they're, they're getting hardcore with that well and they, won't, I think... they won't sell it to anybody either you have to take it to apple yeah huh uh, i think we're seeing similar stuff in the in the car world i know there was that whole big deal and, and we covered it on a previous episode yeah. of the intellectual property of who owns the who owns the car right you know? <clears throat> if the code and the operating system is all leased to you essentially or mm-hmm. you know whatever but i know that uh a lot of things have to be paired to the car these days mm-hmm. you know if you buy a key for example it's got to be paired if you replace like the you know the radio and a lot of electronics they got to be paired mm-hmm. um and that's that's been for quite a while on some right. cars you have to pair the battery you're kidding me. You That's cannot just replace a battery. Yeah, you, when you take the battery out and you put a new one in, there's a process you have to go through uh, to make it work. Jeez. Yeah, that's kind of kind of wild. That is kind of wild. Oh and it, the only it doesn't make any sense at all outside of what you're saying, you know, right. just to keep people from being able to change their own batteries. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a conspiracy, man. Yeah, they're out to get you. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm sure in the deep, dark crevices of YouTube, you will find uh, the, the way to do it. And yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's somebody, somebody may have built some sort of contraption that allows you to, you know, pair things back together, kind of like a, almost like a tuner uh, um, mm. um, tablet that would, you know, how you can interface with your OBD2 port. I'm sure somebody somewhere has something similar to that that can be used to kind of reset things and pair parts together you know hack it hack it exactly mm-hmm. it's I, I call that white hat hacking it's for the white good. Hat. <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah well somebody's gotta 
still be able to do this kind of stuff. Exactly. Exactly. The, the, the repair industry can't go away. It's too vital. It's too vital to the economy. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Another interesting piece of news that that came out this, I don't know, past week or so was the release of the 2021 Cadillac CT5 V Series Blackwing. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's a mouthful. Yeah, we talked about that a few episodes ago, didn't we? Yeah, what we talked about was the 4.2 liter Blackwing twin turbocharged engine. Right. Which is just an awesome piece it's uh uh it's all aluminum it's overhead valve it's four valves per cylinder it's capable of 139 horsepower per liter good heavens in production form yeah uh 560 horsepower 660 foot pounds um right out of the factory and it was it was built essentially for the 2020 ct6 v which was a slightly bigger platform than the CT five. Um, but I think they only made about 800 cars with that engine and then they canceled the whole program. Ah, geez. So the CT six is done and the Blackwing V eight, which was also known as the LTA, uh, is over. They put like 16 to $20 million into developing an all new clean sheet engine. They put it in 800 cars and canceled it. Canceled it. What the heck? Yeah, it's a crazy story. And so the CT5 V Blackwing that's coming out now has an LT-based engine. It's a supercharged 6.2. Okay. You know, what we'll call previous generation to that overhead valve, you know, Mm -hmm. Blackwing. It's a push rod. It's, It's basically like a ZL1 motor. 620 some horsepower um didn't have the same amount of torque and it's again two liters bigger than this other one uh to get a similar power output and you know i was trying to figure out what what happened there and uh uh, essentially some of the management at, at cadillac one guy in particular who was who was running the company for a while really wanted to go after the european high end um uh, car market, which was, it's all dominated by turbocharged overhead valve, small displacement, high powered V8s. Uh, but you know, the, the, the Cadillac's got an identity crisis with these cars. There's a CT4, a CT5, and then there was right. a CT6. Can you pick one up out of a lineup? You know, can you spot one on the street and know what it is? No, probably not. No. So they, they haven't been marketing them. The names, in my opinion, aren't very distinctive. They just sound like part numbers, you know, and uh, the sales were, were not there. So when it came time to, uh, to analyze the, the marketability of that Blackwing engine and, and the CT6 or putting that engine into the other platforms, uh, they thought it was... Uh, not profitable, so it went away. Oh, man. Yikes. Yes. And I immediately jumped on uh, on eBay to try to find one of the existing CT6 V cars with that motor in it. And uh, they're, they're out there. They're all going for over 100 grand. Good heavens. Um, which was, I think they, they, they retail for 109 or 112 yeah, I think right. or something. 
but they're holding that that value rock steady because those who know what they are sure. oh yeah know, are holding on to them um but this ct5 that's the 2021 car with the l you know the 6.2 liter the neatest thing about that one it's got a lot of neat stuff the technology's awesome i think the design is pretty cool uh but it's a it's a manual shift really like a legit which is an, clutch a legit manual shift yep it's a it's a real stick shift wow so my guess is that's going to be a one-year only car too probably oh that's going to be that's a unicorn car my golly that's cool uh, yeah two two in a row you know so as we project project into the future uh, <laughs> and we think of you know 25 or 30 years from now as we go through the uh, elite car collections i'm, I'm mm-hmm. guessing there's going to be a 2020 ct6 v blackwing parked next to a 2021 ct5 v blackwing that sure both hope so. one year only you know high performance yeah. cars it'll probably be in the brothers collection could be <laughs> yeah 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 they don't really have a lot of cadillacs now that i think about it but you never know. It might warm up to them. Yeah, right on. Speaking of which, speaking of the Brothers Collection, you had uh, we had a Muscle Car of the Week uh, uh, debut recently. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was good to see that come across my feed, man. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, it was, it was good to do it. Um, that was a fun episode. The, uh, the Quickest Cars from 1969 this time. Right, right. Yeah. Well, a couple of years ago, we did the uh, quickest muscle cars of 1970, mm-hmm. and that is one of our most popular videos ever, which only makes sense. You know, it's a it's a hot contested topic. Exactly. And just the same way, when we released that one, we released this 1969 version, and all the data comes from published magazines of the time. Mm-hmm. So. You know, Motor Trend, Car Life, Hot Rod, Car Craft, uh, Sports Car, all these magazines that existed back in the day, they tested these cars and, you know, they printed the results and there's a few databases out there that have all the the results tabulated. So it wasn't too hard to put that together, but it, it's not 100% all-inclusive. Sure. Well, I, I saw some of the comments like no, no, no Superbird in there. Where's the GTOs and all yeah. That stuff. Well, I think the the Ringer car was the A12 Roadrunner uh, 446 pack, mm-hmm. and it's it's a funny story because that car first it was it was kind of a mid year edition, so I think it missed some of the some of the other you know magazines as far as. Mm-hmm. regular production promotion. But there's a very famous article that was done by Hot Rod where Ronnie Sox drove that car. Is that right? Yeah. And nice. and Ronnie Sox is, you know, the fastest shifter, you know, definitely of the day. So he was able to knock down a low 13 second quarter mile and, and eventually high 12s in that thing. Gee whiz. And it was supposed Boy. to be a bone stock you know, showroom floor, A12 Roadrunner. Well, the guy who wrote that story was uh, none other than Roe McGonagall, who was my old boss at Hot Rod. He was the editor of Hot Rod magazine in the 90s, but he'd been with Carcraft and Hot Rod since the, the late 60s. Uh, 
And he tells a tale of how that car was a total ringer. It was definitely prepared. Oh, really? For this purpose. Yeah. So it had a different uh, uh, timing curve in it. It had, you know, carb tuning. It had hotter ignition. And it was uh, uh, not the same as what you would buy if you went to your local Chrysler Plymouth dealer. But the other part of that story is when they were doing that test, I think when they finished the test, I got to, I got to double check, but during, during the time period, uh, Roe had this car, he was driving it around and he came out of the hotel one morning to find the intake and the carburetors got stolen. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it was a liftoff hood. It's a fiberglass hood with no hinges. So right. some, somebody knew what it was and it lifted the hood off and stole the intake and the carburetors. And I think, I think it was during the test time because they had to quickly get back with Chrysler and get another set and get oh, him on geez. the car to go run it. Holy cow. And uh, he wrote that story in the 90s telling about the 1969 experience of working with Ronnie Sox and getting the carburetor stolen. And that very car is in the Brothers Collection. Is that right? Yes. So well, That's pretty cool. Yeah, we did a Muscle Car of the Week episode on that one probably in the first 10. So it's red and it's, it's super cool. Dig it, man. Yeah. There was a similar story about the uh, when the uh, the Pontiac GTO uh, debuted. They challenged Ferrari's uh, GTO in, in a race, mm. and they brought a uh, not-stock 64 GTO to the track. I believe it was a Bobcat Prep 421 that they put in that car. Nice. And, you know, just blew the doors off of everything. Um, but, <laughs> but it was course. It was like, no, it's a 389 tri-power car. Right. So, yeah, I think Jim well, Wangers has told that story a few times. I bet. Well, Pontiac was notorious for sending ringers out. And well, yeah. you're right, that Royal Bobcat Pontiac, mm-hmm. uh, those cars got prepped pretty heavily. And, and um, there was a lot of reports of, of disappointed consumers <laughs> really? Who, who got their car? They they bought their GTO and they thought, you know, I just saw this thing. Well, because I don't know yeah. if you're well, you're familiar with the uh, the mystery tiger. Yeah. So a guy, they'd take him to drag strips. They'd bring two of these cars, and mm-hmm. some some pro driver was in a tiger suit, mm-hmm. and some lucky fan out of the crowd got in the other car. And they would, you could have the opportunity to drag race against the mystery tiger in, the, in a brand new 1965 Pontiac. <laughs> and if you won, you didn't get the car, but you know, you, right. you got something. But those cars put down some serious numbers at the drag strip and in front of hundreds of people mm-hmm. every weekend all over the country. Well, and a lot of these people were convinced, so they went and bought their yeah. own and they couldn't get those same numbers. Brilliant marketing tool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It was a great marketing tool. You know, you think about that today, come out and drag race our car. Oh, yeah. That's that's yeah. not going to happen. Against a guy in a tiger suit. Yeah, right. <laughs> Against a guy in a tiger suit. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, but we, I, liked, uh, I liked seeing that. And uh, also you've had uh, a few uh, What Are You In For uh, videos that you yes. saw out here recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love so, seeing the resurgence of that. 
Well, that was a video idea that happened. It was spawned right here on this very podcast. Boom. Yes. I think that was your idea. I doubt it, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, the concept was was kind of obvious of, hey, why don't you do a little update on cars you're working on in the shop? You know, mm. and it's like, absolutely. Um, but the, the logistics of doing those is sometimes challenging because when we're doing a big project uh, that we're shooting video on from start to finish, you know, sometimes you don't want to let the cat out of the bag right? until the car's done and then you release the whole video series. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I realized, you know, that doesn't really matter. You know, let's just show them something. Right. I mean, it's so, going to be a while until the car is done and then and you put the, uh, the spot together, the feature together before you release it. So at that point, I mean, I don't think it's going to be, you know, too soon after the... Uh, what are you in for segment anyway? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And those, those final feature videos, of course, feature the voiceover work of Mike Hubal Clark. Baboom. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So the, what are you in for concept is just looking at, you know, walking out in the shop and, you know, some of the guys are working on this particular car. What's it here for? Mm-hmm. And, uh, we've done, uh, three of those so far, one on a 71 C10 Cheyenne, uh, the second was on a 67 uh, Camaro Pro Touring car we're building mm-hmm. with an LSA and a T56 and ride tech suspension and a lot of fun parts. And then this past week, we released one on the 72 LS3 Corvette we're working on. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty and car. It is, yeah. It's yeah. a good-looking car. It's yeah. that Mulsan blue with a white top. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to go wrong with that, man. Yeah, black interior. Mm-hmm. And as I said in the video, that was it's a non-original car. It was originally Cortez Silver, and it had a uh, 350 in it, but the original motor was long gone. So it made a great candidate for modifying. Absolutely. Uh, guilt-free, mm-hmm. which is always fun. Sure um, is. Yeah, and we got a lot of good feedback on that already. Um, a couple people have, have reached out saying, hey, I want you to do that to mine, which is cool. That is cool. Yeah. Uh, so in addition to... Uh, to that one, um, we had previously aired the four-part build series on doing a 69 LS conversion Corvette, and which is how we got the blue one. As a matter of fact, the customer saw that and said, hey, do one nice. for me. And uh, this past week, um, another C3 Corvette project has come up, but in a different direction. It's a small block car that we're actually doing a 427 big block in. Oh, very cool. Yes. So we're not all, you know, LS all the time. We've got all kinds of different engines in the shop. And, and mm. uh, you know, it's interesting. The, the, the 60, it's a 69 uh, Corvette Roadster again, a red one. It looks very much like that car we did the LS3 swap on in the video series. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he likes big thumpy camshafts and big block power. So we're going to be dropping in a... Uh, it's called the ZZ427, and it's a oh, yeah. Chevrolet crate engine. It's rated at 485 horsepower and a whole bunch of torque. But it's not as easy as it seems to do a big block in a C3 Corvette um, because nobody, you would think, but nobody seems to manufacture a reproduction front drive system for that car. Really? Yes. For a, so you for a big you, block Corvette, they don't. 
Right. Small block all day long, though. Well, I'm not 100% sure of that either. I think the the accessory drives are, are a whole different animal because uh, if you're restoring a car, you, you need to have the original kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So you can buy the pieces individually. You can find like the power oh, steering bracket okay. and, you know, air conditioning and whatever, but nobody's doing a correct kit of all of them. Oh, I see. Okay. So you got to piecemeal everything. Yes. And there are subtle differences, you know, if it's a power brake car or non-power brake car, power steering, non-power steering. Sure. Or, or what year, because they had smog equipment and the brackets changed, you know, and all this stuff. So, so the second thought is, well, you know, this car doesn't require an original style system. We just thought it'd be easier if we could just get it all in one box. Um, so we're going to move on to uh, an aftermarket, uh, which is going to move it to a serpentine belt, which doesn't quite have the same look that he wants. He kind of wants a period look. Yeah. Serpentine system is going to be much better performance-wise. Sure. Um, and we started calling a few of the uh, manufacturers of these things saying, hey, does your system fit in a C3 Corvette with a big block? Uh, it should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, you know, these Corvettes are a totally different animal with the packaging. Sure. They, they got a tight nose. Oh, it's and, yeah. Yeah. So where you get into trouble is the upper control arms. Um, okay. They're kind of high and forward in the car. Right. Yeah, so, the engine is set back pretty far. Yes, uh, yeah. and you get in trouble with the power steering pump on one side or the AC compressor on the other. Um, and then the height of the engine is lower in the car, so the crank pulley can get in the way of stuff. Mm. So uh, my choice on that, we, we want to go with a vintage air front runner system. Uh, we've used a bunch of them. They're very reliable. They work really well. Uh, and it just so happens that we've got a 67 Camaro in the shop, that we are installing one of those ZZ427s into okay. uh, right now. And it has the Vintage Air Front Runner system oh, on it. Perfect. So uh, I was talking with, uh, with Trevor, the technician in the shop, and I said, is there any way you can you know, kind of eyeball that, that engine on the stand and, <clears throat> and look at the, uh, the blue Corvette that has the LS block in it right now? Mm-hmm. But see if that 427 is going to drop in with this accessory drive. <laughs> and he's like, no, there's no way to look at this. <laughs> Come on, you know. The only way to do it is to put it in there and see if it fits, you know. So it's like, yeah, well. So worth, a, worth an ask. <laughs> yeah, and it's actually really worth the time to try it. Okay. Uh, because the, the, the opposite scenario is you buy all this stuff mm-hmm. and then you get it in-house, assemble it all, and then find out that it doesn't fit. And, and that's a bad thing because then you've, you've got parts you know, that right. are already taken apart and you can't return them and, and all the rest. So we're going to, uh, um, when the, the LS mock-up block comes out of the uh, uh, 72 Corvette, because it's going to go in and out a few times as we get the transmission figured out. Um, and if that 427 is not yet installed in the Camaro, because we're waiting on one or two little parts to do that, uh, and it's on the cherry picker, we're just going to roll it over to this one, and lower it down, and nice see where we're at, and um, 
hopefully just sign off on that one and uh, be able to move forward with this other car that's coming in. So I can dig it. That should be a fun project. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it will be very cool. And and there's, you know, so many different different projects going on in the shop right now that these uh, these what are you in for videos uh, are really going to show a lot of variety, which is pretty cool. Good. Um, we're targeting doing one a week, and uh, let's see, there's what five weeks in a month, four weeks in a month. Yep. So we can, if we did them right now, we could probably do five months worth of these things. Killer. You know, all on yeah, different man. cars. Um, and certainly, you know, by that time, things will rotate again, you know. So um, it's amazing. Right now, we've got four engines that are being rebuilt. Uh, we just got a, a, a 68 383 back from a machine shop for a 68 coronet 500 which is just cool a, a super cool car so yeah, that's going to get one of these videos we've got a 71 uh cutlass convertible it's green mm. uh and it just got all new suspension and a vintage air upgrade and um its original 350 is getting rebuilt uh but with a roller cam and and uh, you know slightly increased compression and mm -hmm. and new stuff inside so that that's That'll be pretty neat. You don't see people building old 350s very much anymore. Not too much, no. You're right. And then... They usually go with a 455 in it in anything anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's cool. Uh, and then we got another small block Chevy that's going into a Nova that is uh, getting, getting rebuilt at the moment. And then just yesterday, we pulled the 428 Cobra Jet out of the 68... GT500 KR. Is that right? I thought that was all all taken care of. Well, we we had hoped it was, <clears throat> oh but boy. it turns out it's not. Oh jeez. Uh, the car came in not. It looked beautiful, but it didn't run very well. And we did some diagnostics on it and found that it, it actually had decent compression mm -hmm. and it had a electronic ignition system on it that was failing, and that was the main reason why it didn't run very well. Okay. But. Uh, in our investigative process, we found a flat cam lobe. Oh, the yeah. dreaded flat cam lobe. Yes. So that one's not getting a, I don't, I don't, well, I guess it is. It, it's getting rebuilt because of the damage from the cam. So it's not like it's a worn out junk motor. It's more right. of a. I mean, but there's, there's metal in it. I'm sure you have to take yes. it apart and get everything, get all the oil galleys cleaned out and to make sure there's nothing in there. So it's, right. you got to tear uh, it all down. Yes. Uh, unfortunately we have to do that, but yeah. it's getting, uh, it's getting a roller cam too. So that won't happen again. Nice. Um, nice. And that's going to be a heck of a car. So that'll get a little video too. So lots of cool, uh, video stuff coming out. Yeah. Great and variety. The, uh, You're right. You, that's nice. What are you in for stuff? Yeah. And there's, we just brought in a 66. Fairlane, it's an R-code clone, essentially, 427 car. It's okay. all all white bench seat, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, and it's getting a bunch of stuff, so that'll be a, another one. Oh, I um, bet that moves. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's a damn cold out right now. We can't really yeah. find out. But, yeah, uh, brah. <laughs> Snowy roads and all that nonsense. Yes, but hopefully soon. Yeah. So what do you do about that? That you know that that brings up a good question. When a car is done and you, you need to put some miles on it, I mean, if if the weather is just crappy, you just have to wait, then don't you? 
We do, and we're lucky that you know you're further north than we are, so our weather is nowhere near as bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and the typical rule of thumb is we we communicate with the customer saying, you know, we've got crappy weather, so sure. we can't drive the car. If we really need to, we'll take it down to the dyno and we'll put it on the rollers, and we could drive it on the dyno. Okay, and kind of break in the drive line side. Um, but our typical uh, strategy is. If it has snowed, uh, snow usually kind of melts off. You know, we don't really have snow for months on the ground like, you know, you yeah, do in the Chicago yeah, area. Uh, so after it snows, we let it rain three or four times to kind of wash off the streets. Sure. And then when the, the streets are dry in the daylight, you know, um, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll carefully drive the car at that point. Okay. You know, and then we'll wipe it down right away and make sure that nothing's... You no know, residue is there or anything. Right. Yeah. Right. You just got to, you got to work around it. That's all you can do. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bummer, but yeah. But it's good that you have a contingency in place. Yes. Yeah. 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 There's a, there's a strategy there to, mm-hmm. to make that as minimally invasive as possible, I guess. Mm-hmm. 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 So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, We've covered quite a bit of random ground on this one. Yeah, we have. <laughs> now that I think about it. <laughs> so I guess if, you, if you're not a subscriber to our YouTube channel, you need to click on that because uh, that, that's where you'll see those videos, by the way. So I invite you to do that. Yes, uh, please. And, uh, Good and stuff same, coming out of there. Yeah. And at the same time, uh, uh, subscribe to this show wherever you're listening to it. Yes, and on that, Absolutely. On, on that note, let's see if we can get answers to our trivia questions. All right. This show felt shorter to me, and it's because I took so darn long on the <laughs> trivia question. <laughs> I, I think this is the longest time you've ever taken on one of my trivia questions. Well, I was kind of... Usually you know it right away, or you'll go through a, a short story, and you'll come up with the answer, and just you know playing cat and mouse with me, thinking that making me think you don't know it, and then boom, there you zero right in on it. But, um, yeah, this, but this was case, different. This, this took a minute, but that's, uh, that's all right. I'll, I'm going to revisit my, my questions in the future. All right. All right, so I asked you, Kevin, which uh, auto manufacturer produces the most cars per day and which one produces the least cars, and for the bonus, what those uh, most and least numbers are. And for the most uh, cars per day, you said it was Toyota. And uh, you're absolutely right. It is Toyota. Uh, The cars per day, uh, you were a little short with your 5,400 guests. They produced 13,000 vehicles per day. Holy smoking Toyota. Yeah, that's crazy. And the least number of cars produced per day by an auto manufacturer is, you guessed, Rolls Royce. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that was not correct. Um, the correct answer was Ferrari. Uh, but, you know, all you right. You mentioned it, too, and I told you we I'd include it. I told you specifically I'd give you Ferrari. I guess you did say that, but I, in my mind, I immediately thought this was a boutique manufacturer. So I, I, just... I, I consider them more of a quote-unquote major manufacturer just because of the length of time they've been around, their, their, um, their uh, presence in, in uh, auto racing, and you know they do produce uh, street uh, uh, road vehicles, um, and they. But yeah, that's why I 
I went with that. But their number of vehicles per day, and you guess Rolls-Royce was 28, but their number of vehicles produced per day for Ferrari is 14 cars per day. And that is higher than I would expect. Yep. Yeah, wow. maybe they got more people putting those cars together by hand too. Yeah, that's they're 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 selling more Ferraris than I expected. Mm-hmm. And you know the Vins are specific too. Yes, they are. Yes, street they are. cars versus race cars. <laughs> yeah, one's odd, one's even. Yeah. Huh. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Again, sorry for that dirtbag question. I'll. That's all right. That's I'll all right. You know, it, it, it's good to you know stretch the noodle out a little bit and see. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I wasn't. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I was kind of in the in the universe there i wasn't like you were yeah got oh, one yeah, of you them were, yeah. you were dancing around it yeah all right well i had asked you in 1963 chrysler announced that they would be offering a new warranty on imperial powertrain components and this was going to be the first of its kind mm-hmm. for the luxury class and you thought about it for a second and came up with a five-year, 50,000-mile warranty was yeah, the special yeah. thing. So that's what I came up with. And that's correct. What? Yes. Get out of town. <laughs> that's exactly right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I, I was trying real hard not to bust a grin, but you nailed it. Oh, Wow. Holy yeah. cats! Congratulations, that was a that was wonderful. I, I got to pinch myself. I can't believe that happened. Well, that's why I was asking him. Like, is this, you know, you're sure? Did you know about this? And you're like, ah, whatever. That's just it. So I, I that was a stab, but you uh, you hit it perfectly. Oh wow, that's what that's like. Holy cat! Holy cow! Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Chrysler was was really. Um, standing behind the imperial line because you know it, it competed with cadillac and lincoln and in those days lincoln engines were like every one of them was test run before it got installed in the car really every and, one and, holy yeah God, they checked uh, you know oil pressure and noise and vibration all that. i mean they're well-built cars and the, and the cadillacs of the 60s were really well-built cars so Chrysler had to do something uh, to get the Imperial line at that People same level. Their heads. I got yep. you. So they, uh, they, they claimed they were continuing to make Imperial the most carefully built car in the industry. Uh, and they were giving an exclusive manufacturing attention. It has its own special shop for special coach work and other facilities set aside for the sole purpose of making it the best car possible, mm. backed by a 550. So... Pretty neat. Right on. Nice job. Thank you. That's two for 2021 I've gotten right. Yeah, and I haven't. <laughs> we. I think this is the first one you've missed. No, I missed last time too, didn't I? Did you? I think so. Yardley, we're going to need a ruling, please. <laughs> yeah. We need our friend Yardley to uh, catch up on the uh, spreadsheet yeah, the of spreadsheet wins and losses of the scorecard. Yeah. He's been it's feeding me in. questions too, so uh, I'm. Uh, isn't isn't that a conflict of interest? The guy that keeps the scorecard is feeding <laughs> the questions. <laughs> I think it is. It absolutely is. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. All right. We'll let that slide. <laughs> All righty. Well, this was fun, and uh, I promise next time, even if I, you know, 
I'll get there faster. <laughs> no worries, no worries. I'll, I'll I'll do better at the question. You can't. I mean, oh, on on your questions, I was going to yes, say on, the on mine, I you can't you, do any better. You're winning I'll do them better. All. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, uh, you've uh, uh, enjoyed hopefully another uh, full episode of the V8 Radio podcast. And as I said before, if you like this kind of stuff, give us a uh, a positive rating on any of our subscription areas and subscribe. Uh, you know, to whatever podcast streaming service you'd like to listen to, we'd appreciate it. And uh, I think that's about all I've got right now, Mr. Q. You got anything else? I have nothing else. I have no GTO updates as of yet. Ah, well, this is, the suspense builds for next time. It does. It does. Right on. Big things coming. Of course. Maybe. Always, Always. big things coming on the V8 Radio Podcast. <laughs> and for Mike Q-Ball Clark, I'm Kevin Oste, reminding you to keep... Uh, Keep the needle in the red. Just don't lose your head. Oh, daddy-o, I love it. 